The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. Good morning and greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Dr. Reeder, I want to thank you for inviting me to be a part of this very special day and to share truth that every human being, beginning at conception, was created by God, for God, and in his image. Presently, 125,000 children are destroyed by abortion every day worldwide. In our own nation, over 3,000 are destroyed each day, which, with much uh, sadness, those numbers are higher in the African-American community. Why? Why should it be in any community? Allow me to speak on behalf of the African-American community. In 1938, Margaret Sanger, the racist founder of Planned Parenthood, masterminded a genocide in order to expand her efforts to exterminate the Negro population. She sold a lie to the African-American community through black religious leaders that the senseless murder of human life would make life so much better for black, black families and their communities. Today, because of her efforts, Planned Parenthood centers are placed primarily in black communities. Right here in Birmingham, on First Avenue, next to Interstate 65, Planned Parenthood purchased property, not for the purpose of health care. We all know that abortion is not health care, but to continue the legacy of Margaret Stanger. I stand before you this morning a post-aborted woman whose mother was among those who bought the lie that it would lead to a better life. At the age of 15, almost three months pregnant, I was told the senseless murder of my baby was for my own good. Fifteen years old, with no one to confide in, I carried the weight of a family secret that led to shame, embarrassment, regret, and many years of low self-esteem. For years, the dark cloud of that day haunted me. Here I stand before you, 43 years later, a living witness that aborted babies do not go away. The memory 
of a back alley abortion as my mother assisted, then wrapping the remains in a sheet given to my father to burn. Those memories are still here. Aborting my baby did not make life better for me. But years later, through the love of Christ, I was able to forgive and God healed me for such a time as this. My journey has given me a relentless voice for the unborn, for men, women, and teens who suffer in silence. I choose to stand and I ask each one of you to become a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. Together, we must stand to bring exposure to Planned Parenthood. The Christian community cannot be afraid to say God values human life. The Christian community, let me say that again, cannot be afraid to stand and say God values human life. As part of the African American community, we cannot say black lives matter when in the sight of God, all life matters. To Planned Parenthood, my message will never change. You have been exposed and your welcome mat has been reversed. You are no longer welcome in our city. We declare our city a sanctuary for the unborn, for the red, yellow, black, and white babies that will one day glorify the Lord and become ambassadors for Christ. Margaret Sanger stated that the black community was nothing more than human weeds and need to be exterminated. Today, the voice of those babies speak. Listen to their words. For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. One of the things that haunted me was feeling that it was all my fault. As I grew older, I knew that if I was going to reach my purpose in life, I needed to release it or it would continue to destroy me. So one day I sat down and I pinned a poem to my aborted baby. Unborn child of mine, this is my plea. I am not responsible For you not being here with me, 
Too young they said I was. The trouble headed my way. That is when mama said, you're getting rid of it today. Without enough schooling to get a job, first child raising you sure would be hard. That is when plans were made that caused you not to be. I remember entering the house, only rooms did I see. And slowly as I turned, I saw him sitting there, a man wearing a white coat, sitting in a chair. Up on the table, she made me sit. I wanted to keep you first child. Somehow mama couldn't understand that. Soon it was over. Home I did go. I recall hearing mama on the phone saying ugly things about me way down low. Then the door opened. A face I did see. It was my sister wanting to come and be with me. But there was nothing she could do. First child, it was all over. Thoughts of ever holding you. Later, I called her daddy to tell him what had been done. The way he talked about me made me want to run. First child, I don't really think much about that day. In order to move on, I had to forgive all who had something to do with taking you away. I know one day we shall meet again. Until then, you will be the little girl closest to my heart. Abortion destroys. It almost destroyed me. But I have made up in my mind, as long as God gives me breath, that I will share with others that babies may live. I ask you today to join me in the fight. Dr. Reader, thank you for being one of many who have stood strong with voice to say no more. Let our children live. God bless you. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. You'll turn in your copies of God's Word to Genesis 4. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the Pew Bible. And if you don't yet own a Bible, feel free to take that one with you. It's a gift we're giving to you. Feel free to do that. There's a note sheet that's provided. Children, you can make your way now to my left and out the door. And there'll be a wonderful time of fellowship and worship and teaching in the Children's Worship Center. And then we'll get you afterwards in just a little bit. Now, would you look with me in the minutes that we have together to conclude our Sanctity of Life Sunday? Would you look with me in chapter 4 and verse 1 of the book of Genesis? Now, Adam... Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, 
Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will not your will not. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The grass withers, the flower fades, and God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So, uh, time for another pastoral confession. I'm a little frustrated on Sanctity of Life Sunday this year. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, you know, Harry, I just kind of took a look at the watch and it's 1142. So even you know that it can't be a regular sermon today. And uh, so and that's what you must be frustrated about. And uh, so, um, well, I've already come to peace with that because we've done this now for um, a number of years, 20 years since I've been here, and then before that with Dr. Barker. So uh, I've come to peace with that, and I know we have some special things that happen in this service. The people that you're meeting are very important. Their ministries are crucial. And, of course, I'm grateful beyond uh, expression for my sister Xanthia to have shared with you. Uh, but as we come to the ministry of the Word, and yes, uh, it is edited and truncated, and uh, and there's a lot on the on the floor that's been cut out. Uh, but I want to get to the crux of it in just a moment. The, actually, there's something else that's frustrating me. Let me back up a step. So um, I don't mean frustrated sinfully. I just mean a little sanctified frustration. And uh, you know, it's like when I played. Baseball. I would always like to get just a little bit of athlete's foot. That felt good. I didn't want the whole thing, but just a little bit to scratch. That was good. So a little bit of frustration is good every once in a while. So here I am with it. And what is it? Well, you know, um, our church, under the guidance of our elders, they officially and eventually decide on a ministry theme that we are to focus on throughout the year. Not to do it and set it aside, but to do it in such a way that from the pulpit through the congregation, congregational communities and into the various ministries and small group discipleship, this theme becomes embedded and discipled into the life of our congregation. That's what God calls us to do with that. That's what we try to do. And you know, for the last two years, it's been a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. And we talked about focus on evangelism the first year, discipleship the second year. And when we got to the end, I proposed to you what something we are trying to enact this year 
from last year. And that is training teachers and curriculum about what we're calling the foundations in discipleship. Five elements where we're developing curriculum and teachers who can handle it. We're already starting it this year and, uh, and they're rolling out. So the first element, I know all I started to call on you for this, but I decided I wouldn't do that. I know all of you remember what the five elements of the foundations curriculum was that I preached on so wonderfully, powerfully and persuasively. And I know you wouldn't have forgot it, but just in case, so I don't get embarrassed. I'll give you the answers. Number one was we're going to develop some curriculum around Christianity 101. What are the foundational truths of the Christian faith, particularly around what is the gospel? Then we said we're going to create a second element. And the second element is spiritual disciplines. That is the private and public means of grace, the disciplines of grace. Now, notice, not discipline for grace, but the disciplines that God has ordained as a means to bring grace into our life so that we can grow in grace. Thirdly is lifestyle stewardship. Fourthly is training in personal evangelism through the bridge to life. And fifthly is what is true worship, gathered worship and life worship. What are those? We're going to talk about what is true worship, because that's the whole purpose. Evangelism, missions, discipleship. The whole purpose is for the praise of God to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so what does that look like? And so we're developing that curriculum and training those teachers. And so they said, well, Pastor, why don't you take one of those elements and make it this year's ministry theme, which we did. Lifestyle stewardship. And so that's and I got started last Sunday and then comes Sanctity of Life Sunday. Are you starting to get a little bit of my 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 uh, frustration a little bit? Now I said, well, I got started. We got, you remember we got started last week? Just in first century, what is a steward? Well, we said a steward is somebody who owns nothing. And then we said, well, then what's next to remember? His master owns everything. You remember the name for stewardship? Oika nomas. Oika means house. Nomas means rules. Rules of the house. You see, the church, not this building, the church, God's people, are his house. He dwells among his people. What are the rules of the house? My mother had rules for our house. You disregarded them at your own precarious existence. You had to do those. We had certain things. This is what you did. This is how you conducted yourself. God has rules for his house. Here is worship. Here is fellowship. Here is evangelism. Here is discipleship. This isn't what the rules are not there to get saved and admitted to his house. They are the guidelines and directions and commandments of those where he lives. And he not only has the church as his house, he has you as his house. So he has... 
house rules for you. This is how you live your life. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. This is his rules when he says, I want you not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that... I live within you and you may prove that which is good and acceptable, which is your life of worship. So that's what those house rules. By the way, listen to that word, oikonomos, or when you're talking about a steward, oikonomia, oikonomia. We get an English word, economy. The economy of life, whereby the values and investments of life are lived. So we're going to be looking at the economy of life for a believer. What does it look like? We're stewards. We own nothing. Now translate that. Oh, by the way, one other thing is a steward is accountable. By the way, one more thing. A steward, whatever he has, was allocated by the master. And what he's supposed to do with it was communicated by the master. Now, 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 we are stewards. The Bible says you're a sinner, saved by grace. The Bible says you're a saint, secured by grace. The Bible says you're a soldier for Christ. The Bible says you're a servant of your master. And the Bible says you're a steward. And what does it say about stewards? They are found faithful. That's what a steward is, found faithful. With what? With the resources that were allocated. What does it mean to be faithful? You oversaw them. You managed them. You used them. You're never profitable, but you can be productive in the use of those resources. Where did those resources come from? They're not yours. You don't own them. In fact, in Christian stewardship, not only do you not own the resources... You are owned by the master. And the master is the one that gives you the resources and the direction of how to faithfully use them. That's why we got this lifestyle of stewardship study, because it's not just money, folks. It's the children he gave to you. It's the marriage he gave to you. It's the home he gave to you. I put it under three R's. Relationships, resources, and responsibilities. How do I steward them faithfully? Because I am accountable. You know there is an accountability. There's a thing called the day of judgment. We all appear there. If you're not a Christian, you will appear there with your name in the books and you will give an account of the cosmic treason against the thrice holy God and the verdict will be the eternality of hell. But if you're a Christian, your name is not in those books. Your name is in the book of life. But you still appear there, not for the judgment of your sin. Jesus already handled that. But you will be there for the judgment of stewardship. What did you do with what the master allocated to you? Well, what's the verdict we want to hear in that day? <laughs> well done. Good and faithful servant. That's what we want well done. So you see, I was ready to move to sermon two on lifestyle stewardship. And I'm frustrated because then I had to do sanctity of life. But then I realized something. I'm not as frustrated. Now, why am I not frustrated? Two reasons. Number one is this. 
If we are aiming for a lifestyle of stewardship, then doesn't stewardship begin with life? If we believe that we have a lifestyle of stewardship, then it would start with the stewardship of life. I do not have me. I do not know how many sunrises and sunsets God's given you and me, but there's a limited number. There's a finite number. Now, the question is, is what am I doing with my life? And what am I doing about life? He said, Harry, there's a second reason. Yeah, Cain was reminded he was not only a steward of his life, he was a steward of who else's life? His brother. He said, no, no, not me. Am I my brother's keeper? He said no to stewardship of life. And so the Lord began to deal with him. Well, I want to get to that in just a moment. But as I was working my way through that and thinking my way through that, I mean, you know the story, right? Cain and Abel. So here we are. They've fallen into sin. They've been driven out of the garden. They have two children. They have Cain and Abel. And that's at least we know of those two children. There were others also. But they have Cain and they have Abel. And Cain becomes a farmer and Abel becomes a shepherd of the flock. And then in the course of time, that is over a period of time, with some regularity, they come for worship. And when you come for worship, you bring an offering. And that's why the text takes time to tell you their occupation, because it's from your vocation that you would bring your offering. And so Cain is a farmer, so what would he bring? Fruit of the ground. Abel is of the flock, so what would he bring? He would bring from the shut, from the flock. But what is it? Why did God affirm Abel's offering, but not Cain, and in the process communicate to Cain, it wasn't just your offering, it's you that needs to be accepted. What is it that went on there? Well, what was what's what's clear is that Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought the first of the flock. If I'm bringing the first of the flock, what does that mean? I've saved it for this purpose. And then he brought the fat portions. Those would be offerings. He not only brought the tithe, the first, he brought the offerings and he brought it to the Lord and God received him through the offering, which becomes a picture of how we get received through the offering of God, his son, the lamb, whereby we are accepted before him. Now, what does he do with Cain? Well, first of all, what does Cain do with the fact that God doesn't accept his offering, that he needs another offering, that he needs something done for him? Well, instead of repenting and seeking God, what he does is he premeditatively, that's what rise up means, premeditatively, he murders the man that he thinks is his problem, if I can get rid of him, I'll be okay. And he murders Abel. And Abel's blood is spilled out to the ground. And the ground soaks it up. Folks, there are three, there are three texts, there are three statements in the Bible 
that startled me, astonished me, and I honestly tell you, they frightened me. And that's when the Bible says, on that day, God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I believe those are the most frightening words that I don't ever want to hear. But there will be many, many on that day who hear it. I don't want you to hear it. I want you to hear, come in, beloved. Because you've put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Those are frightening words. The, the condemnation of being sent to an eternal hell under the righteous judgment of a holy God whom you have committed cosmic treason against and rejected his grace and mercy. The unending judgment of hell that is intolerable but must be endured with no remedy forever. Those words are just, they overwhelm me to think of them and to know that I live among and talk to people that are going to hear it. That's why I want to get the gospel to everyone. Secondly, the words that frighten me are the words that come from Romans chapter 1. God gave them over to the degrading passions of their heart. He gave them over to sexual promiscuity. He gave them over to sexual perversion. Then he gave them over to social approval of promiscuity and perversion. And then the society would shame the gospel, which is why Paul starts off with, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because the society shamely embraces sin to shame the gospel, and it approves and embraces and calls good evil and evil good. You see, not only does sexual promiscuity and sexual perversion, not only does it bring God's judgment when it's present, it is the evidence that God has already begun his judgment. God gave them over. There's a third one that I want to say to you today. And this is where I'll bring it to a conclusion this morning. And that's in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, which I love, which is a book that's divided up into ten books of origins, Genesis. And, and they all start off with the phrase, in the generations of. And so there are ten of those books in the book of Genesis. And we're right in the middle of one where we see what is happening because of sin and what it has originated. And we see that, that uh, the God who gives life now has to deal with his those who are created in his image who assume that they can take life. Now, only God gives life and takes life, but they will then usurp God not only by making their life their God, but by taking the lives of others. And so that's what Cain does in murder. And then it says, and here's the frightening phrase, it's three times in the book of Genesis, God came down. Three times. You'll find it in Sodom and Gomorrah. In the reign of sexual anarchy and its violence. 
God comes down for investigation, responsibility, acknowledgement, and then a measured judgment. Not the unmeasured judgment of eternity, but a measured judgment. But that's not the only place. It's also at the Tower of Babel. When the city-state, here the city-state binds itself together in rebellion against God with sexual anarchy. Here the city-state binds itself together with arrogance. We will build the tower to heaven. And God comes down. And God brings judgment. And their language is confused. Folks, that's exactly what... By the way, is this starting to sound familiar? A culture given over to sexual anarchy, perversion, promiscuity. A culture in which all of the trust is put in the society. We got on our coins in God we trust. Is that what we do? No. We put our trust in the military, which I'm grateful for. Politics, parties, Wall Street, economics. And then God causes what? Confusion. Have you seen our confusion? We got dictionaries that can't even identify pronouns anymore. We are wrapped up in confusion in our rebellion. And then here... God comes down. In all three cases, the voice and the cry of our sin rises up to heaven. And then God comes down and brings judgment. And here, it's the voice of Abel's blood, innocent, that cries to heaven. And God comes down in judgment. One man murdered. The cry goes up and God comes down. Did you hear what Xanthius said? Do you know what is the number one killer in the world today? It's not heart disease. It's not cancer. It's not even our wars. It is the genocidal assault on the most vulnerable in the womb. 124,000 plus every day in this world. If the voice of one rises up, what must be the cacophony in heaven today? I am utterly amazed, yet I have to confess grateful, that God's patience is long-suffering. And what I am praying is he hasn't come down in judgment because he is going to bring us up with repentance. That's what I am praying for. And I have a reason to pray for that. Can I give it to you? The Bible records another time that God came down because our sin went up. And that's when Jesus came down to go to a cross. And instead of God coming down in judgment, 
God came down to bear our judgment. So that we can have life evermore. So let's embrace a lifestyle stewardship that begins with the stewardship of life. And let's thank God for that legislative movement that says we will not codify death. Let's thank God for that ministry that reaches out to the children that are born but are unwanted. We've got homes for you. Let's thank God for that ministry that reaches in to those women who bravely gave that birth and need assistance. And they need all kinds of bundles to help them. Let's thank God for those with legal abilities that step forward, medical abilities that give themselves. This is multifaceted. Let's thank God for those who have been there and known the forgiveness of Christ and they're ready to be there for others who need to know their forgiveness through Jesus who died for our sins. Let's thank God for those that reach into the abortuary so the abortionists are converted. Many have this last year in particular for which I praise God. Let's thank God for those who are on sidewalks to counsel. Those who are here, we will help come to our home. Let's give God praise and glory for all of that multifaceted ministry. But where it begins is when we acknowledge we are sinners and our God has come down to take our sin to the cross. And we've come to him who is our life. Now we desire to be stewards of life. I do not watch um, award ceremonies on television. I have to confess I don't. I mean, you know, people that get together who I don't know to congratulate each other over something that I'm not excited about. So I don't watch them. But I was sent a video of a recent Globe Award in which a woman caresses a globe and gives thanks that she was able to abort her baby lest it get in the way of her success to win that award. I immediately begin to pray for her because what you're holding is a toy of dust. It will not last. What you could have been holding was a life that's forever. Instead of life's expended because it's all about us holding toys of dust, it's lives that are ready to steward life and give our life so men and women can know the one who gave his life that we can live forever. Let's pray. Would you just take a few moments in prayer asking the Lord to speak to your heart to encourage you It's a large group. Some of you here may be in the very same place as Anthea was. Where can I go? We've got a hymn that answers it. But to the Lord. Come to him who is ready to to meet you and to pray and to forgive you and to take your life and make it new. 
And he's ready to do it. Some of us may have been lethargic in this matter. God, help me know my place and purpose and how I can be part of the stewardship of life with lifestyle stewardship. I don't know where I should be, but give me that place. Give me that prayer closet. Give me that prayer request. Give me that ministry. Help me understand where I can be. But, oh, God, we desperately need a revival. We need you to send the Holy Spirit here among us as a people that we would repent of our sins, flee unto Jesus, and you might bring into our life a culture of life, a culture of life that exposes the insidious stupidity of racism and classism. Because we see each other made in the image of God and that life is precious. And there is only one giver of life who alone is to be the taker of life. And there is only one who can give us everlasting life. And he came down that we might go up. Our sins cried out to heaven, but he came down not to bring judgment, but to bear our judgment. So we rejoice that on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross. We're the dearest and best for a world of sinners was slain. I'll cherish that old rugged cross till the trophies at last I lay down. I'll cling to that cross, that cross where the one who came down to save me took away my sin to bring me to heaven. I'll cling to that cross. And look forward to the day when I exchange it for a crown. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.